Blog Talk Radio. about a <laughs> a rigmarole to set the phone up because uh, well I don't have my bracket so anyway this is going to be a very strange and amusing Christian conspiracy theory uh, we're on our way to take Aaron back to Bible school so he wanted to uh, do a live Christian conspiracy theory do a video and do it that way. So, uh, we're going to talk about Ordo Satanus Part 2, this order of Satan. Let's really get to the, to the crux. When you really grapple with God's Word, you're going to have to always accept this one single fact. Something strange is going on with the angel of the Lord. It's not until you realize that that can be one of any of the seven archangels plays the part of the angel of the Lord. That's, that's an archangel. Does these references to Satan make sense? Why the Hebrew uses the prefix hey? That's, that's why when you speak with many Hebrew-speaking people or, well, Hebrew roots people, they too will say ha-Satan because it is the Satan. This mirrors this aspect of the angel of the Lord. There's actually more than one Satan. There's seven of them. And this is the uh, uh, serpent of the sea. I mean, there's a couple of different ways you can look at this. But the point being is that there's not a Satan. There's not a Satan. And there's not a angel of the Lord. Any archangel that shows up plays the part of the angel of the Lord. So, with that in mind, that's the whole premise uh, for this episode is to once again do what I've been doing my whole life. Just taking the biblical data and arranging it in order so that it makes sense. Because God's word makes sense. He never wrote it to confuse you. He wrote it to deliver the information to you. That's why he wrote it. So when you have this strange occurrence going on with the angel of the Lord and the Satan, it makes sense. It's just that we haven't put together all the data into a coherent thesis. Yeah, so, so a really good, really good argument that everyone should have realized and that the dragon itself is called Satan. But the dragon has seven heads. But the dragon has seven heads. Now, this is literally... Man. You can't cross the line and say this is empirical proof. 
but certainly that is as close to circumstantial evidence as you can get. Literally calls it the dragon, you know, the devil, and yet it has seven heads. So this lines up. This is what makes the angel of the Lord sequences make sense. What makes it make sense? So, uh, when you look at that, and then you go to places like when it mentions uh, uh, some of these Satan's names, like Abaddon, it could most probably be one of the kings in Daniel chapter. Well, look. Daniel's true. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Just like the creation week or anything else. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Because it is. Right? So we're just trying to understand how it can be true. All the many different things that the Bible says. So why do you feel the need for a part two? Because it's important to discuss the history of it. The, um, it was founded about the time of creation of Adam. That's what it appears. That the, that the order of Satan was founded at the creation of Satan. At the creation of man and for the purpose of the creation of man. So, so really let's get to why why is Satan our enemy? And the other, a while back, I actually made a uh, commented in a post on uh, on Facebook uh, in one of my groups, my Bible groups, and they and I said the Bible never, never does God ever. The Scripture never ever says that God calls Satan his enemy. He calls him your enemy. Your enemy. Yep. He says the enemy. He never calls him his enemy. And that's a really big thing. And um, the my wording was that Satan may be crazy, but he's not nearly as stupid to think that he could challenge an omnipotent, omniscient being. This is one of the foundation stones I laid in your life. Everybody else runs around and gives glory to Satan. Okay? God has no appointment, no opponent. There is no challenging the Lord God most high. It's only other people that glorify Satan and say that he can actually have a fight with Jesus and or God. No, the Bible never says he's God's enemy, because God does not have any enemies. So, you have to understand, this is, is this part and parcel with why he's our enemy? Is this why he's our enemy? Because he knows he can't, God has no enemies. That, that's, that's a pointless irrelevant thing to even think in your head. So, what is the real problem here? You've brought up a good point. 
why is he our enemy? What 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 did we do? What's your thoughts? So if you okay, the concept of Satan rebelling against God directly is purely a medieval concept because if you go any time earlier, all the ancients in their texts they refer to that Satan refused to bow to Adam because he was number one younger and made of a lesser material, lesser material, which was clay, and so um, this. Says that he would not bow to the image of God for this purpose. And so, all these different texts, they all agreed on that, that that was why Satan fell. None of them, none of them ever came to the concept that he was like, oh, I want to be God, so he tries to ascend heaven. So, literally, what you're saying is you can prove beyond any shadow of doubt with the historical text, this is truly theology straight from the Dark Ages. Yeah. Right? It is a dark theology. You can literally prove this beyond any shadow of a doubt. But, but I don't think you people realize that this gives foothold to Satanism. Exactly. As long as you call Satan God's enemy, you are given foothold to Satan. He is nothing. He is nothing. Okay, but he like, is created. He is under. Now He's we, created. Now we as humans, we as humans, we may come up with the concept, oh, I can be God. And uh, and I can ascend to heaven. A human might be able to come up with that concept, but I don't think an angel, because no. an angel has been in the very presence no. of the Most no, High no, God. No, no, no. He would, you would be able to look into him and see the infinity of well, his power. Well, this is part of the problem. The angel knows that cannot be. We're also talking about the intelligence thereof. Now, let's also back up just a step. The Bible states that the angels are comprised of fire, correct? Mm -hmm. We, and let's not go KJV psychotic. The Bible says that we're made from dirt, mud, clay, any of the above, right? We're not going to argue about the difference between clay and mud, all right? Let's talk about that. You can clearly and cleanly define what clay is, right? We can literally take it to a laboratory and tear it apart. Can you do this thing with fire, Aaron? No. Is fire a thing, Aaron? I mean, that's really hard to say. I mean, it's reaction, so... It is not defined scientifically as a thing. It is defined as a process, Aaron. Yeah, I don't think you can really give, give, like, a math to it. It's a reaction. No, it has no math. It's a reaction, Aaron. Don't you understand this is key critical with their ability to the book of Enoch reveals to us polymorph. Let's talk about the different types of flame, Aaron. Right off the top, you do know and understand there's a huge difference between a blue flame and an orange flame, right? What is that? Heat. Different heat signature. These things can be produced by different chemical elements. You know this by watching fireworks on the 4th of July. There are certain chemical compounds 
that can extract different colors of flame when they burn. Amen? Amen. So now we're on a different level. Now from the very elements themselves, God has revealed to us their rhyme and their reason. Right? So, that being the case, you've laid a foundation here for primary thoughts. This is a solid, firm foundation. Now, the issue is, is that a lot of translations will be like, why is God telling the angels to worship Adam? And then the, these are like, you know, clearly Judeo-Christian texts. And it goes to the word, root word of, uh, of worship. It literally means to bow. Okay? So, the word, if you translate it worship, that's a, that's a, I mean, it, that is very circumstantial. In, in translation, the word can mean more than one thing. <laughs> I mean, there are, there's sometimes English does that, but with certain Greek words or Hebrew words, it can be used different for different circumstances. So they may not necessarily have been, like God clearly would have never told his angels to worship about something other than him, but he was telling them to bow to him. And what does that mean to bow? To assert authority. Right. And this is to the rhyme and the reason as to the why the Lord our God said this. To Adam, he gave dominion. Right? Yeah, I'll uh, pull that up. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Is this the same word as worship? Is it the same word as worship? Let me be very clear and definitive. No. No, it is not. No, it is not. It does not mean worship at all. Now, let's, let's, this is really important. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, okay, let's... let's really talk about that word, a living thing. Okay, let's, let's, no, really, no, really, let's really talk about it. So that, so the Hebrew uses that for giraffes. It uses that for horses, or, let's define it. Don't mince words, define it. Give me something concrete here. Well, it can be translated as, well, a creature, a creature. That's all, you, a living thing. Okay. Um, so sometimes it can be referring to an animal. That's why you see in a lot of translations they have it as a beast. This is the same reason why sometimes when you're reading uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, it will tell you the living creatures, and sometimes they'll say beasts. Right. Because that's... Right. It, they're not really beasts. Even though they have bestial faces, it, it describes them as having human-like bodies. So it's really saying that they're a living being. And I'm not... I mean, what does that mean to say that God is the living God? I mean, I don't, like, like, what does that really mean? The living. And it, it, I think it means life has only been referred to in Scripture as being created through the Holy Spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit, it says, by the breath of His mouth, the host of heaven was made. And so, God's Holy Spirit is the creator of life. Right. So... Well, back up. No. Well, 
yes and no. Really what it means is that the Holy Spirit is the animator yeah. of life. And we've talked about this before. I've taught you this since you could listen. Since you've had ears that could hear. Know and understand this. There's nothing different between you the moment before you die and the moment after you're dead. Everything's there chemically. You're still warm. It's not electricity that makes you alive. It is his breath. And it's this breath, this Holy Spirit, that animates you. So I, I, I wouldn't agree with you that it, it makes life. I, I, I mean, it does, but something had to create. Well, go ahead. I might be just getting too Just deep. a generator, basically, I'm not entirely sure why the scripture calls the, those, those beings in the throne room living creatures. That's what it calls them. Well, and, and so, this is something to say about these angels. Is this when it says every living thing that moves on the earth, is this talking about angelic entities as well? Okay, Job twice describes Satan, particularly drawing him out as to saying, God says, where have you been? He immediately, his immediately reply is an answer to this Hebrew phraseology. What does what does Satan tell God where he's been and what he's been doing? What's his reply? Moving to and fro and up and down on the earth. Do you not understand that? Or do you just not believe it? Have you rejected it? That This is the problem. Right? So, I was, I've, I've been translating the book of Genesis uh, from the Hebrew and using the Septuagint to guide my To guide you. Um, so, in that, I hit a very interesting thing and something that I've been struggling with actually for a few years is translating Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 and the NASB says if you do do well will not your countenance be lifted up and if you do not do well sin is scratching out the door and it's desires for you but you must match the grip so going to the, to the Hebrew here's a big problem that I found the word for sin is feminine and then it says, it's desire for you. That word, it, is masculine. Which means, that word, it, is not referring to the sin. It's referring to the croucher. The word for crouching is rabat, or, which in, in Sumerian text, was rabisu, or the maskim. Seven demonic beings. Right, there you go. These seven demonic beings. And in my translation... Now, in, in our language, this is the seven arch... They, well, they refer to them as archdemons or something. Archdemons, right. Well, when somebody listens to this, they're going to have to... If they haven't heard this before, understand this. There are seven archangels in heaven, and there are seven archangels in creation. These seven archangels in creation, we're saying, are these seven that, that the Sumerians called archdemons. Yeah, or masculine is what they refer to, whereas the rabbis do, you can look that up. But these beings, these seven beings, um, refer to as um, these, uh, this passage is referring to an entity. So my translation, it alters, and it basically, um, I don't have my translation with me right now. Wait a second, I think. 
you got your laptop right there. <laughs> yeah. I oh since the word is um is Sumerian, I had to come up with a word that would suffice in English to understand what right. Because this is the problem because if if you say demon, what what do people in the American church automatically think? I mean, you just got nowhere to go with this. Yeah. I guess the best way to describe it is fallen angels, right? Because when you say demon, I mean, it just throws everybody into, you know. Yeah, yeah, not only that, we teach generally that demons and fallen angels are different beings altogether. Yes, this document has the entire New Testament and a part. You know, we was just talking about this um, in this uh, verse. We were looking at what what you've done here, take the Septuagint to interpret the Hebrew. We just had this very problem with the verse when it clearly refers to the clothing. It mentions the king's mother, right? Yeah. When you look into the Septuagint, it gives rulers. But it's not until you keep looking you realize why. Because that Greek word is the feminine case. It's the feminine case. So literally what the Hebrew, that's why the Hebrew says queen mother, because it's realized the ruling mother's family. So this is my translation of uh, Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. And this is very different than any translation you'll ever see anywhere else, but it's the best one I could find. For if you do not offer sacrifices good intention, and if you do not act with good intentions, your sin has brought a devil to the door, and his submission, but his submission is under you, and you can rule over him. That is completely different, and it sounds like there's a whole lot too many words there. Give me a normal translation. What's, what's the KJV? I gave the NASB earlier. If you do not do well, your countenance Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, your sin is crouching, sin is crouching at the door, and it's desirous for you, but you must master it. So basically, it's not the sin that you need to be mastering. It says in this translation, it says your sin has brought a devil to the door, but his submission is under you. You can rule over it, and I proved that because the Hebrew term for um, its submission, it is masculine while the word for sin is feminine. It tells you it's not talking about the same thing. So, um, why is it saying, why would God tell him that his submission is under him? Of course, of course, we, now, now maybe that time when Jesus said the devil was the murderer from the beginning makes a little bit more sense then. Right. Well, that's the whole purpose, Aaron. We're trying to figure out what God was talking about, because only then does it make sense. So that's what we're trying to do. Because it is the truth. You just have to figure out what the truth is. So that's what we're doing here. Yeah, and, and basically, like, when, when, when Jesus says, Satan was the murderer from the beginning, all of these people he's talking to, they all know what he's talking about, but... 
You might not. Because whatever he was talking about has been separated separated from us by the dark ages. Yeah, by the dark ages. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I'm making this translation is because of the dark ages. Because of the King James and all of them, there has been translation tradition, okay? You didn't actually say that. Because there, there has come translation tradition, which means I'm going to translate it this way because everybody else has been translating it this way for a thousand years. It's wrong. And that's why I always go to the Septuagint and prove it. Septuagint is very good about translating words peculiar ways to tell you this is how you're supposed to interpret that Hebrew word. And people don't realize it's the word of God that 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 spurred on the use of compound words. This is where it comes from. God will just need to say something, so he'll take three Greek words and put them together. There you go. That's what I mean. That's what I said. That's what I mean. And just like this word for uh, uh, for rulers, the verse we was talking about the other day, which clearly say, states, you know, the harlot, the, the woman in, that, that rides the beast, clearly it says, the king and his mother. It's not until you look at the Septuagint that you realize, wait a minute, that's not just rulers. Why is that word feminine? It's talking about the mother's ruling family, this, this uh, adagope type of individual. So this passage in Genesis chapter 4 made me go straight back to Genesis 1 when Jesus, when God tells them to rule over the living thing. It triggered a remembrance service. So so it says the angels are a little higher than humans, right? Right. Well, <laughs> let's go to that word in Psalms. The word in Hebrew is Elohim. The Septuagint translates it to angels. So it's telling you the same being but a different class. Okay, right. the Elohim we found better refers to the, the, the archangels. The, what everybody calls archangels that are in heaven. And, and let's define this real quick in case, in case somebody stumbles onto this. I'm going to repeat myself again. There are seven archangels in heaven. And here, in creation, okay, heaven's not in creation. In creation, i.e. this galaxy, i.e. this solar system, i.e. this planet, there are seven, what you would call archdemons, but they're archangels in creation and archangels in heaven. Okay, so what the Bible can be talking about, what it can only, what, what only thing makes sense is the Elohim is the seven archangels in heaven. So that's Michael and Gabriel. Yeah, and, and, the, and the scripture only ever refers to angels of this plane as B'nai Elohim. The sons of those Elohim. So just like there is a throne and there is a footstool. This is clearly definable. Yeah. There's a so throne he, of God, that's in heaven, and his footstool is creation. Which so causes an amazing, very interesting issue. The fact that the angels on this world basically do have submission of so, but Satan didn't like this, and he never did. And so, he sought to make his own Messiah. And no, this was, no. in a sense, uh, just so you all know, that when God said to the serpent, 
the Proto-Evangelion, that, that was a dual prophecy. Dual prophecy. Put it in order. It says, he will bruise your head. Right? That's that, one prophecy. That, when, did, when did Christ bruise the head of the serpent? Resurrection. When he resurrected from the dead, he, he, he crushed the head of the serpent. And then the second one, it says, but the serpent would bite his heel. That's right. That's so, the serpent's going to bite the heel of man, which, which was a prophecy towards the serpent. And the serpent had never stepped back on this. Those seven archangels... Because that's seven, a prophecy. He is going to do it. The, he is permitted to do it. You could literally say, in an angel's eyes, he was told to do it. You understand that? Satan has been commanded to do this thing. He's commanded to do it. Do you not understand? Do people not understand that? Now, I am not, I'm not sure if Azazel was the first to... I'm not, not sure if Azazel fell during the time of Adam in Eden. I'm not sure. But he, he definitely is instigating the first incursion yes. at, at, at Genesis 6. He and, is the first incursion. And there are two um and there are two other Satans that are part of it. And you find in the Book of the Giants that these were called the helpers in the heavens. And this is also goes straight back to um, Job twenty six when it says that the helpers of Rahab are beneath him. So these these um these have always set out to make the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent would be their Messiah, which would set him above humans, or something like that. Right. Where, where the, take for instance, where the Jews see, uh, uh, believe that the um, Messiah is supposed to come and deliver them from all their oppressors, Satan sees their Messiah as delivering them from human from humans. And this, um, um, and this is basically what it seems that Daniel chapter 11 refers to it as the Maos. Or we refer to Christ as the Messiah, they call their Messiah the Maos, which means the one from Isaiah, basically. And this is why, I mean, you can beat around the bush, your daddy has not been raised that way. That's why Azazel must be the one from the first incursion, because of this prophecy. That's why the Assyrian, when he rises, is the seed of Azazel. He's the scapegoat seed. It's he is the one that's answering this prophecy in the tribulation. And we're not sure how he gets the DNA of Azazel, but he, he gets it somehow. The king of the north, uh, which we call Belial, I'm not sure somehow he finds it. And this is what what brings the treaty we were talking about in the other show. However, we do know through Zechariah how they get his mother. Somewhere she is confined. And so she's just so so we know how the mother is obtained. It's Azazel's son DNA, we don't know. I mean it's you know it has to be a blood relative. He has to be blood related to He has him. to be. He has to he has to have the seed of Azazel. So But I, So the first incursion 
happened. Okay. Right. We have. There were. There was another order, which actually seems to be part of the heavenly hierarchy called the Watchers. They we see in Dan, the book of Daniel that they're declaring um, the judgments against people for their sins. So these may be very well be part of the twenty-four elders that are in the throne room. These being Watchers. But some of these were sent to earth, according to the book of Jubilees, they came to teach um, the purpose of brain, judging righteously, teaching people how to live. And But seven of them come together, okay? This is separate from the Satan, the seven Satan. This subgroup of watchers form, form an alliance under Azazel. This is called Rahab, the, the second uh, Leviathan, a suborder of Satan called Rahab. Well, I don't understand why you're wanting to attribute them to somebody else. Why can't they be a Zazzle's seven lieutenants? And I guess that's a big question. How many lieutenants does an archangel have, I guess? But, but anyway, I'm just that's just a side note. Because... Because God has a set hierarchy, which you, but not everybody in the hierarchy is just gonna tune into the same ideas, unless if they're like bees and have a hive mind. I don't know. But these come together in rebellion to take human wives. And what's interesting is like that implies that they actually tried to carry out a marriage contract. They, they actually attempted to, like, do this in a lawful manner, even though this was nothing like God or how to ordain. These beings, they figured out a way to transform a polymorph, their angelic uh, nature, their, their fiery being, into a fleshly form, polymorphed into that, and then they were able to um, make the human, okay? So, this... Um... This, as I've mentioned in other shows, they have to, they would have to make their DNA be able to line up with humans. They had to make sure that they had 23, um, chromosomes that Parents. could match up, yeah, that could match up with the, with the female in order for them to bear a child. This is, again, I'll say, this is why a, why a dog can't have a child with a pig or, you know, or simplest of ways, a banana can't have a child with a horse, because right. it, it's not possible. I mean, um, because it doesn't line up genetically. So this For, is what they had to do with polymorph. In the simplest of terms, a, a, you're talking about the key won't fit in the company. The key just won't fit. And this is how chromosomes work. It does work like a lock being the female and the key being the male and they have to it, 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 it has to work anyway go ahead so in the first incursion which we call it the watchers the order of Rahab come down and they take human wives and whoever they chose but Phenox says that there were 200 of them but they had seven leaders, and these, um, 
if and they may bear children. We don't know how many Nephilim there were. And there's quite sent well, we do have one apocryphal text that says there was ten thousand. But how can you know? Yeah, you can't you can't know for sure. The I mean, but these but these beings, um, they had set up I believe that they set up the first form of paganism or polytheism. The um, the idea that there is one ultimate God that is, you know, the Most High. They, I think this is the reason why the Bible ever had to use the term the Most High because people referred to the Supreme God, but there were other little gods. You'll find this in a lot of mythologies. But most mythologies have the Supreme God, and then there's others, um, and then these these lower ones. They're playing on the term Elohim, applying to angels. Because of this, people started worshiping the angels, and then they started initiating the demigod project, basically, to make demigods for themselves, to make their mayas. And they, um, but of course, God wiped them out. He had to, God had to act. It got to the point where humans were basically animals. They were all murderous, lawless, and they were all prepared to sacrifice their child to these monsters. Um, but God, but from our, just through logical discussion about the giants and how they had to survive, if God didn't interact, we may have gone extinct. Right. Because, you know, and we've talked about this before, so. It's one thing to make up in a movie a creature that's three stories tall. It's another thing entirely to sustain that creature. You realize you're talking about a whole cow per meal. Okay, let's, let's just think about that for a minute. One cow out of your herd per meal. That means three per day, right? How many cows does that mean per week? 21 cows out of your herd just in one week. You know the concept of what runs our cattle market. They're called yearlings for a reason. They're called yearlings for a reason. Takes you a whole year to replace a cow, right? Don't you realize? Just sustaining them, just providing their needs, would have made us go extinct. Imagine when they had to go urinate. How much would that be? A full Olympic-sized swimming pool they peed? They would foul everything. Do you realize that? And what happens? What does urine do? It, it will kill whatever plant life is around it. The high concentration of ammonia kills it. So, so, so people just don't really understand how much a human urinates in one day. Translate that to somebody with a bladder the size of a semi-truck. They would literally make all of the tillable ground foul. 
they would pollute everything, would become polluted. So literally them living was a danger to all living things yes. on the planet. Yes. And so God, if he did not act, then we would all be in danger. It was an end game. Yeah. And we've mentioned before that God's, uh, God's it was an act of wrath of, against the sins of humans, but ultimately God had that. It was it was a priority. Well, for one, we're keeping it very baseline. We're keeping it very simple. But you have to understand it. Their prowess, they would have been so powerful, Aaron, do you understand they could have they would have had the strength if they would have come into their mind, hey, let's dig an abyss all the way to the core of the planet. They were powerful enough, Aaron, that if they got together and wanted to breach the core, they could start digging and do it, and they'd know which direction to go. Now, we, this, and this is and this is despite the fact we don't even know what sort of powers they have. And now, now let's now let's branch off. That being the case, that they would have literally the strength to destroy the planet by digging all the way to the core. You have to go the next step. You know how hard it would be to dig to the core because humans, you understand, you'd have to have a direction directly south. They could see it because they have supernatural intelligence. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Now they have the intelligence to implement and the power. We don't have the power to do whatever we want to do. The Nephilim did have the power to do whatever their mind together, like we talked about in our episode uh, with the uh, Tower of Babel, that it plainly states that there were, well, it can be talking about seven servers that was putting all the people's minds together. And these they, things could have done that. That's despite about what sort of supernatural abilities did they have, and they emit radiation? I mean, their fathers were made fire. I mean, how could they have not? You know, that, that's a good question. I, I mean, this is the thing. Why is it you're never told their abilities? You're only told their stature. We can tell. We can, we can through physical evidence of what they can do. They made pyramids. And, look, look here, it's not the blocks themselves that are amazing. I'm going to tell you what is amazing about the blocks. It takes prophecy. Because you understand, those blocks are fit together so perfectly you can't get a sheet of paper between them. Do you understand that? So, literally, if the angle is off by a of a degree, you're not going to have the blocks going perfectly together. Do you not understand, son? Their mind, their hands have the ability to pick up that chisel and hammer and perfectly make what they yeah. were thinking. Yeah, like how... Like That's a supernatural I mean, I, I think it was at some, some building in South America or something we were talking about these, these really long... Hole. You can't bore them 
with carbide boring bits. You can't do it because in order to do that, uh, no one understands this people. If you're an expert machinist, you'll know this. If you take a half inch hole, if you exceed that depth into something by more than twice, you naturally will have a wobble. Let's say if you have a boring bit that's a half inch in diameter, but it's three foot long, it's going to wander inside the rock, Aaron. You sight these holes in this diorite stone, they, are, they have laser precision, Aaron. We can't do that with carbide boring bits. Yeah, we, there, there are some things we see in ancient architecture that, that we are, cannot do with machines. We can't. Yeah, like we can't do it with modern technology, which means what technology did they use or was it technology? Or was, did these beings have the power to tell this stone, hey, turn to dust and every, and the rock where the shaft was they wanted just turned to dust. Were they able to command creation and it obeyed them? We just don't. Why is it? Why is it? This is never discussed. God kept this from us. The only thing we're allowed to know is their massive strength. We're not allowed to know their abilities. Yeah, but like I said, I've actually mentioned in that show about the Tower of Babel. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that God destroyed the tower, but go there, he did. Yeah, he nuked it. And so, um, so, this was the first incursion, God wiped it out with the flood. So, these angels, these Satans, they're down by three. Those right. are cast into the, into, the abyss, into the abyss. And so, these, the remaining four, they have to come up with something new. They have to come up with a different plan. So, during that time, uh, a descendant of the house of Rapha named Bel, or Halel, he built the Tower of Babel. And he wants to set his throne up against the throne of the Most High. So, they come, and they, I suggest that they come, and they said, give us what? Show us something that we can do. And, um, we're told that they, that, um, Halel gave, um, in the Sanctum book, the, he gives uh, his father, Uranus's, um, a concubine to Dagon. Dagon represents one of these fallen angels, because in that culture, Dagon, which, which was like a merman, represented one of these angels, one right. of the Satans that right. came up from the sea to teach knowledge. So, um, this being, later in, in, in uh, this is Genesis chapter 15, and it says that, um, the, that God would give the, the land of Canaan to Abraham in 400 years, because, this is his wording, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet same wording used in Enoch concerning the fallen angels that says they will be bound there until the completion of their sin. Their wording. Completion of their iniquity. 
So this is why I understood that the word for Amorite was actually talking about Amaru, the patron deity after whom the they, the Amorites were named. This being, he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are told in Jude chapter, um, uh, well, there's only one chapter. There's only one chapter, so. Only one chapter, but um, in, in Jude it says that, first it says that they did not guard their authority, their um, domain. And then it also goes on to say that the Sodomites went after strange flesh. That's what many translations will say, strange flesh. So if you ever have a theologian try to tell you that this is talking about homosexuality, if you actually look at the Greek, that's a blatant lie. It can't be. Because the word, ironically, for strange flesh, for strange, is heteros. Not homo. Heteros meaning another. They were going after a different flesh. And that means not another female, because a female has human flesh too, just as a man. It's what was going on was angelality. It has not, to be not bestiality. It's angelality. Literally, what it's saying is that they come up with a new scheme. Hey, we won't take wives. We'll let the humans rape us, and that's exactly what happened in Sodom. What happened to all the townspeople when the angels went to go get Lot? They thought they had justification. That's why this ain't. That's why these angels are here. They're here so we can take their seed. That's exactly what's described. Yeah, and you have again. I I don't know if these angels did it um, strategically, but they knew that the Sodomites already were doing this, so they were like basically supposed to show up as just really good-looking men, and they could do whatever they wanted with us. Or, I don't know, were they, did the humans, were they aware that they were angels? I don't know. But they used this as their uh, capital. It was the capital of the second incursion. It was led by beings in, in Book of Enoch. Their exact spelling is Haname and Kazdi. But I think this, it's actually Nabu and Emeru. So, um, these, these beings... Um, Nabu eventually goes to Egypt. I don't, I don't know if he actually engaged in having sex, and that's how he escaped until the time of uh, of Moses. But Amru, God took him out in Sodom and Gomorrah and destroying them. Then Amru, he uh, no Nabu, also known by the Egyptians as Thoth, he was living in the time of uh, Exodus. And the scripture says, who did God say that he was coming to judge? That his, he was judging the gods of Egypt. This exact wording used in Exodus multiple times. That God's judging the, uh, the gods of Egypt, which were the angels. Right. right. And, and, um, so you, and then in another book of the Bible where the, the deity named Ammon is referred to. And another place, Apis. These, these are Egyptian gods. And this is important to know when you go to Egyptian mythology. It's It was called the Oak Dead. That Thoth had a set of other gods, eight gods under him, that he ruled over. And one of them was Ammon. 
So he was what um, Isaiah calls Rahab who remains. So everybody wonders, why is Rahab always referred to as, um, as Egypt? So, there's a passage in Isaiah that says, um, I'll call Egypt uh, Rahab, who I exterminated. This is a faulty translation. It actually says, Rahab, who remains. Who stands. He's the only part of Rahab who was able to survive, at least until the time of Moses. In the book of Jubilees, under the name Mastema, he ends up being chained up after the parting of the Red Sea. So, that is the end of the second incursion. But it took them a while to figure out how they were going to do the third incursion. So, now we're to the third incursion because now they know they, well, they can't take wives. Number two, they can't let, you know, humans rape them. They got to come up with something else they got to come up with something else. The only thing that makes sense is, well, genetic engineering. That already happened. So, they're going to take the seed through in vitro fertilization, designer babies, however you, you want to call it. They need two things. First, they need a mother. This is what we call the Rishaya Project. The, they had to they have, if you go back to our very much earlier show about the genetics of the false prophet, this is a really, really old show, like 2017 or so, but it's, we will refer to it all the time, so you really need to listen to that one. <laughs> but, yeah. Genetically, they have to breed a mother. And they have to, so that the, so that the, false messiah is perfectly an SS sexual um, identity right. no. just like an angel let's explain that they don't understand if they haven't heard those those episodes you know that uh, that a man is XY and a girl is what XX XX we're saying that the seed of an angel is the characterization S so an SS, that's that's what you meant. Yeah, we we assume that it must be called um, heterozygous, which means they have two two letters. Uh, um, they're not heterozygous like a male. Male has an X and a Y, which is two different letters. Right. But it had to be homozygous like a female, which is XX, because in that in that verse in uh, Psalm 104, it says, "I made my angels." Um, Right. And my ministers claim the fire. What's interesting is the word for angel and ministers are masculine, but the word for claiming uh, fire and spirit are both feminine, which is telling you that it's a masculine being, but it has a feminine, homozygous nature. So we, so we understood that it's SS, not an S and another letter. Right. So, but this false prophet, it has, he has to, um, achieve the point where he has the sexual identity of an angel, an SS. Right. And that takes a lot of breeding, or, in our case, genetically engineering. 
which you have to understand that the verse I was just mentioning to you, remember I said that um, this verse that we were talking about, it says, tell the king and his mother. Well, you realize that technically speaking, what could this could be referring to the, the Greek state, you know, it's this rulers that's feminine. Is this cloven? We know that there's two cloven that secure her, right? Yeah, we're referred in, in Isaiah and Zechariah. We have we're shown two women with with stork-like wings, which appear to be like a cloven type. Yes, cloven type being. They're cloven females. Are they her sisters? Um, it seems that they're they're the mothers. They're referred to the mothers. Yeah. So, you know, kind of make you bite your tongue. Are, are these three the mothers of all chimeras? Or, now, I well, I mean, I mean, I mean, of of, of all Nephilim. In no, rabbinical texts, they say that these two were Nama and Lilith. But right, right. But we, we just don't know. Anyway, yeah. But these this Rishaya project was broken in half. We are told that in Daniel 11, it says that one of the princes grows more powerful, and he divides the order of Satan. At this point, uh, Satan has only two heads. This is the Satanic Civil War. The Satanic Civil War, as it's called, as we've called it, the um, where Abaddon and Belial are the only remaining uh, Satan, and they still have not bent back on their plan. And this alone makes all the scriptures make sense because you have two two things mentioned exactly by name. Those two. I mean, why isn't all the angels... I mean, you realize how many angels are in Revelation? Why is Abaddon named? Can you riddle me that? So well, specifically, he's the only angel in the scripture directly referred to as a king. As a king. And yet, at the same time, his name is not put opposite of Christ. No. It's not. So, you have these two names given. Now, it makes the scripture make sense. All of this makes it make sense. He's referring to, in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 15, where it says, What has Christ to do with Belial? It doesn't say, I'm sorry, Aaron. In the Dark Ages, they wanted, with all their heart, they wanted in the Dark Ages that to say Satan, didn't they? So one thing's for sure. Either that name is his name, or there's more than one. That's, that's the only thing you can come up with. And because the Old Testament says Ha-Satan, it must mean it's plural. He is only one of them. There must be multiple. Anyway, the final stage, and in this final stage, the third incursion, they don't plan on being kicked out of heaven this time. No, they don't. But they set up some sort of pact with their Messiah. Because that they would serve him? Right. That they, Daniel's pretty clear that the king of the north together with the king of the south, one of them has the cloven, one of them has the father, 
and they're able to produce the mayors with it. And they get together and say, our two remaining armadas, these angelic armadas, will serve this one whom Revelation calls the beast from the earth and the false prophet. He is the Assyrian that has risen. Yeah, and then another civil war breaks out when um, when one of the cloven mothers uh, murders the mother of the uh, of the Antichrist, and then she and then the two armies go back into battle, but they're basically fighting over this Maoz until he becomes an adult, raised in the kingdom of the north. He takes the kingdom of the north by intrigue, as it's described. But in Daniel chapter 8, uh, verse 9, it refers to him as the little horn. And it says, Out of one of them came forth the rather small horn, which grew exceedingly towards the south, toward the east, toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the hosts of the stars to fall down to the earth and trampled them down. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. And he removed the regular sacrifice from him and placed his sanctuary and the place of his sanctuary thrown down. On account of the transgression of the host, uh, on the count of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn, according to the regular sacrifice, and, will, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. So because of their transgression, they got to serve this, this false messiah, and it says, God. He, command, he makes himself equal with the commander of the host. Everybody thinks the commander of the host is Jesus, or Michael. No, it's not. What if this is actually Satan? The this terrestrial is, it's Satan. It's referring to the 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 host that's been fallen down. The so, terrestrial set. So this means he, he, he becomes equal in power with Abaddon or Belial. Yeah. He becomes equal in power with In my him. opinion, once he grows into power, either somehow it seems that somehow Belial disappears in Daniel chapter eleven. Either he kills him, chains him up somewhere, or unites him under himself. He's not really mentioned after. But Abaddon and Belial's forces are all united under him. He's going to be their Messiah, and he's going to bring them up to heaven and establish them thrones and places up there. That's that's what I think this means. And when it and we know what happens. Let's read uh, Psalms chapter 74 again, and I will explain to you what happened. Yeah, it's the prophet Asaph that gives it to you. You divided the sea by your strength and broke the heads of the sea monsters in the water. You crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures in the wilderness. You broke up springs and torrents. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours is the night. Yours the light and the sun, who established all the boundaries of the earth, you made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, that the enemy was reviled, a foolish people has spurned your name. Do not deliver the soul of your turtle dove to the beast. Do not forget the life of your afflicted forever. Consider the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of habitations and violence. Let not the oppressed return dishonored, let the afflicted and needy praise your name. So, you 
you understand that it just described to you the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I, I apologize, I need to read from the top. I didn't, I, I started at verse 14, I need to, to read from the top. Oh God, you why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smelt against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you purchased of old, which you redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance. This is Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Mount Zion, we uh, uh, go to my my dad's show, um, End Time Tribune on what? Spreaker, Spreaker. Um, go on there, and he'll explain. He explains everything about the uh, the Primus Ascendimus, the the ones. There are two 144,000. One of them are babies who were taken at the day of of the Lord when He comes at the sixth seal. He takes the children of Him to heaven. He takes them most specifically to Mount Zion. So when it says Mount Zion here, this really needs to stand out to all of you. Turn your footsteps toward the perpetual ruins. The enemy has damaged everything within your, within the sanctuary. Your adversaries have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They have set up their own standards for sign. It seems as if one has lifted up his axe in a forest of trees. It really does seem so, don't it? Yeah. There's one axeman. He is the Assyrian. He is the false prophet. Now, he is the Antichrist. Now, the Lord your God comes right out and tells you that. The Assyrian is the Lord's axe. Most people reject it. They don't believe it. They take comfort in shows like The Omen. Why haven't... I mean, nobody understands why Why John the Baptist himself says, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. They have no idea what it meant, because it's in the prophets. It's in the books of the prophets. They have burned your sanctuary to the ground. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their heart, let us completely subdue them. They, they have burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There are no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. How long, God, will the adversary revile and the enemy spurn your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand from your, even your right hand, from within your bosom? Destroy them. Yet God is my king of old, and he has deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. So, what is happening here? This is what my dad refers to as the tribulation trigger. Yes, it is the tribulation trigger. When the, the false Christ, the Assyrian, attempts to um, enter the Holy Land to slaughter the children. These 100, 144,000 children. God acts at the sixth seal. He sets the earth back on a zero degree axis. And then he basically... Are you stopping? No. Go. Sorry for that intermission. <laughs> yeah. Um, the... <clears throat> Yeah, so at the tribulation trigger, he crosses the river Euphrates, and this is what the scripture, uh, why does it say that the, there are angels bound in the river Euphrates? Four angels. Four angels 
um, we, in Revelation chapter 17, describes the seven Satans, and it says, five have fallen. One, of course, is Azazel, and then there's another four. Those who led the first and second incursion. And I think those are being released, in a sense, from the from the river Euphrates because he's crossing it. He crosses the de, uh, demarcation for the covenant, I think. And when he does this, they make this pact. He has to stay in his place. Once he crosses his his southern border, it breaks that covenant that that Belial and Abaddon had made. And he, but, but, but and he, and when he does this, he's established the seven back together. Yeah. The seven. Um, the, all the five who have fallen are now on his back. Now Belial and Abaddon are all together. He has the entire seven right behind him. And he comes in to destroy the sanctuary. God steps in. There's some sort of flooding that occurs with the um, Euphrates River. And God crushes the heads of Leviathan. Back to the text, read that verse that says that uh, he, he, he feeds them to the beast of the wilderness. No one understand, he's talking about the beast from the sea, or angels, and he is the beast of the wilderness. He's the beast out of the earth. Though, I, I really disagree, because the word for you gave him as food as creatures for the creatures in the wilderness. Literally, it says, the people... Zeon. Here we go again. Zeon. We came to realize that it kind of lines up with the term when, it, when the scripture says that Nimrod was a mighty, a giant hunter. The word for hunter is Zeta. It has that same ring to it. So in the Septuagint translates this word as Ethiopians. And who is the father of Nimrod? Cush. Cush. The Ethiopian. The Ethiopian. The now, now remember, there were twin Cushes. Yes. One was the Indian Cush. One was the Ethiopian Cush. Now, by Indian, what do you mean? You mean American Indians? No, no. Literal Indian. Indian. You mean right, Indian. Right. You can find this in the Hindu Cush. That was right. his, his realm. So, um, the, the, the Cush, who was called the Divine Twin, uh, he represented in the Dioscuri or the Gemini twins, yep. he was the one who was part angel, uh, referred to as Uranus, uh, Anu, meant heaven. So basically, uh, oh yeah, so he was the father of Nimrod, who was also a giant, or an earthborn is the exact word. And so, I think that these spirits, these people, these spirits, Served Nimrod. I think that the Zeum, we, we have a passage also in scripture that says that they, that they bow before the Lord. I think these are the giants that serve him. And um, there are, yeah, it's hard for us to believe that there are some good demons, but that's only because now, wait they're a minute, You're going to confuse me. This is because, of, let me explain. This well, is because you the, said demon. You don't exactly. mean an angel. Exactly, this is... Okay, so you all are uh, familiar with the word demon and you think it means an evil spirit, but it actually comes from Greek mythology. The, the, the Jews at the time of Christ were using a term from Greek mythology 
um, for uh, a sort of spirit, but it could be good or evil. And the evil demon was called a cacodemon, and a good one was called a eudemon. But you, but all Christians, are used to the concept of the cacodemon, and I believe that they probably, it's safe to say that most of them are cacodemon, but some of them, most specifically Nimrod, must have been chosen by the Lord, and I think that they may have been able to replace the course that their fathers, their angelic fathers, had abandoned. So, take a deep breath, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, take a deep breath. What Aaron's trying to say to you is that not all of the spirits are unclean. How about that? What he's saying is that some of these giants, some of these Nephilim, did not choose to be evil. That's what he's trying to say. And we're not definitively saying that because the Bible does not come out and say that. Right, Aaron? Yeah, it doesn't come right out and say it, but this is, this is a possibility. I know he's a god of mercy, but the word for Rapha means heal. And it goes right back to the time in the book of uh, Enoch when, it, when God tells Raphael to heal the earth. Heal the earth. So, um, so that's why I think this is happening. These spirits, they appear, they show up right there to, um, this battle, and God gives them as food. Right. But prophetically, like I said, what's, read those verses for me, please, where it states that they will be given to the food as, as the will. Antichrist, which does not exist in the book of Revelation. It doesn't exist. It's five times in the New Testament, none of which is in Revelation. So they have to come to grips with there are three antagonists in the book of Revelation. There's the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and the dragon. Yeah, and most people say that hold up those things. That the beast from the sea is the Antichrist. No. This is Azazel. This is a fallen angel, and he's not a man. The man of lawlessness is the beast from the earth. Yes. And this is why the Greek right there says man of lawlessness, it does something in Greek it can't do. Because it says man, and then it says lawless, feminine. No, you can't do that in the switching between the feminine and the masculine the only way you can deliver some of these ideas alright well 
What is we it? just gave you the history of Ordo Satanus. Ordo Satanus. To this very day and to the future. I don't know when this uh, event, when they reunited under uh, the false prophets or the Antichrist, but when that happens, uh, you got to be careful where you are. Scripture says, if you're in the land of Jerusalem, you better run to the hills of Judea. Indeed, it does. But yeah, oh, you'll know it. The earth will start shaking harder than you ever could have imagined. <laughs> the earthquake is not reaching the sun. It's the entire planet. It's the fact. It's foundation. It's not reaching. It's foundation. He shakes the whole thing. So anyway, uh, how do people get in contact with you, Aaron? Uh, you can DM me on uh, Instagram at punkmo, uh, punkmo underscore rocker on Instagram, but uh, I'm also available on Facebook if you want to get to me on there. Oh yeah, two new books that I made out this this uh, this summer. Uh, the first book is the second edition to the Enoch. It has new content. I made sure, but it's the same price, but it's got new content and edited translations. Um, so we fixed it up a bit, uh, which winds up scaringly a lot with the Mirage theory that we put together. And then the, um, and then I put the Book of the Giants, I reconstructed it and fixed it to the best of my ability from the corruption. And then put together the Book of Noah. So that's all in my second edition of Enoch. I also recently uh, published, just a few weeks ago, the, uh, the Gospel of the Hebrews, the Messianic Gospel of the Hebrews. I used some Messian the Messianic uh, or Hebrew names for people in that book because it was the original Messianic Gospel. It was written in Hebrew. We have documents say it was written in Hebrew, and the Messianic Jews at the time, that was the Gospel that they always went to multiple different um, uh, different church leaders, church fathers, you can find it in Jerome, in Origen, a lot of other stuff. They all referred to the text. They did not deny it. They were very neutral on it, but they were very important to the fact that the Messianic Jews at the time were using this text. So if you're, in, if you're curious, I reconstructed it to the best of my ability. You can get that on Amazon as well. And I'm planning to get some books for some signed copies, and we're going to figure out how to make it. So uh, I'm going to be sending it straight from my college dorm to your house, signed, and that sort of thing. So um, you can find me, Matthew Miller 49. That's the Twitter handle. That's the Facebook page. All I can say is this. Seek and you shall find. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.